Greetings. This is Heart of Mind Radio for the New Millennium. I'm Katherine Davis, and on today's program, we're going to be listening to one of my very favorite guests, and that is Sergio Magana, and he is a most magnificent person in terms of understanding shamanic traditions. Sergio Magana Ocelo Kyoto. Sergio is founder of Centro Energetico Integral, the author of The Dawn of the Sixth Sun, is a well-known and respected healer who has been initiated into the 5,000-year-old Toltec lineage of Mesoamerica, and he lives in Mexico City. And we're going to be reprising two of his interviews that we've done in the past. And they're just so amazing. I want you to hear it again. And when he does get back into town, we're going to be talking to him about the energetic healing of Mexico, psychic surgery, and the obsidian wand. And psychic surgery is a procedure used by ancient shamanic traditions, such as those that have developed in the Andes and various parts of Mexico. It is a form of healing wherein the healer, without touching the body, can make an opening in the energy field of a person and from there pull out all the stagnant energy that has been developing into illness or negative emotional pattern, his distorted energy as a clay or plastic vessel. Then, by using the obsidian mirror's power, you will ultimately give the unwanted energies back to the earth for transmutation. This is an easy and simple process with great results, one which Sergio learned directly from an Atomi healer, the one and only Sergio Magana. And now we're going to go to excerpts from two separate interviews of Sergio.
We just heard Freedom Dance by Diane Reeves from her Art and Survival CD. And our opening theme is Frog Dancing by David Anthony Clark. I am really very, very excited about today's program because I am welcoming back an old friend, someone who is has come back and forth to New York City, but is currently in Mexico. And my guest is Sergio Magana, and he is a well-known healer and spiritual teacher, and he has been initiated into the 5,000-year-old Toltec lineage of Mesoamerica. He's the author of Dawn of the Sixth Sun, 2012-21, and the Toltec Secret, Dreaming Practices of the Ancient Mexicans. And he is going to be coming to New York in order to share with us some of these beautiful secrets. He travels extensively and has a community of over 50,000 students in Mexico, the USA, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and the United Kingdom. Sergio was chosen by his Nahuatl-speaking teachers to be the one to bring the ancient knowledge of the Toltecs and Aztecs to the world. He is a well-known and respected healer in Mexico who has been initiated into this beautiful shamanic lineage. He is also appointed by Club UNESCO to be the representative whose job it is to preserve Mexico's um, natural and um, all of the cultural teachings of the Nahuatl culture. And he was invited to perform the Toltec ceremony for the winter solstice of 2012 for UNESCO. There's much more I could say, but I want to welcome you back to Heart of Mind Radio I'm so happy to have you today. Hello, Sergio. Hello, Catherine. 
for me, it's a real pleasure to be back. Yeah. It, lo- it looks like yesterday, but it has been like two years since the last time I was with you. And it's yeah. a real, real, real pleasure to, to be again, to talk with you again, and to share, to share with all your audience that I know a lot of people hear you and they are so, so nice. And I met a lot of them in the workshops. Oh, all my, my experiences of, and whatever new it comes. Mm. Well, I appreciate and I, I'm really happy that you are coming back because the workshops that you're offering are unique and really very, very special. But there are always people who don't know too much about you. Perhaps they're listening for you the first time. Can you give a little bit of your background? Because I know you were really introduced to the indigenous culture by your nanny. Yes. I had a, a very, like, a special, and now I see very lucky childhood, I think, because uh, the difference in my life, I was raised in a traditional Catholic Mexican family, but my mother uh, decided to work, so I was raised by by my nanny. She was like the the daughter of of the curandero, of the healer of the of a group. Uh, they are named the Otomi, uh, that are very close to Mexico City. So she was supposed to to was to be the next one in the lineage of, of healers of her father in her little town. But then uh, certain things that probably sound like, sound like tragic, but, uh, but at the end they came to, to a purpose. She had some problems uh, in the town, so she had to escape to Mexico City without shoes, without uh, speaking Spanish, actually. And then uh, she ended uh, working in in my parents' house, and like she uh, came to my parents' house before I was born. Then I became like the kind of of son that she couldn't have. So I was really like kind of raised by two mothers, one uh, very traditional, with in science in in religion, the other, uh, she was, well, okay, also Catholic, because in Mexico it became this syncretism, but she practiced the ancient medicine. So since I was a, a little boy, I saw all these kind of things, like when she, when I had a pain or an ache, how she took, like, uh, I remember the brands that they were named Delicados, that it's pure tobacco, <laughs> here in Mexico, uh, how she began like uh, moving like uh, one of those cigarettes uh, against the clock in the area of the pain. Then she smoked it in, and when she blew out, took out the pain. Like those things, I saw many, many like uh, kind of shamanic indigenous red um, uh, medicine actually. Like with plants, like cleansing you with an egg uh, and reading it. And I think 
Nowadays, I don't use those those techniques anymore, but I think that they made a huge difference in my life because they showed me that the traditional medicine is not the only way, that there are only many others. So I grew up with that. Uh, it really, really changed my life. Hmm. And also, as you grew older... You started your career in one direction, I know. I think you were like an actor or something like this, but then you ended up um, coming into contact with some of your mentors and you began to follow deeply this path into the Nahuatl culture. Can you tell us a little something about that? Yes, of course. Uh, of course, when, uh, when you are a young man, you never think that you're going to trend writing books about indigenous culture uh, or, or following the healing traditions. It was out of my mind, so I tried to to become an actor. Also, I uh, started to become a chef. So I was trying to do uh, like more normal professions <laughs> before. <laughs> But uh, actually, I think it's like a destiny because I tried to to do all those things and the doors were closing and closing again and again. And like with the nanny, uh, other of the things that I learned were uh, how to move the eyes into different perceptions. I could see the energy. So uh, I was like, uh, that story, probably I have never told it to you, but it comes in my new book that is uh, that will be uh, soon uh, launching out. Mm-hmm. Uh, launched, sorry. Uh, so I went to, to like a little talk, and I asked a lady uh, if she had a surgery uh, around the navel, and she told me, how do you know? And I said, because I see that there is a lot of energy accumulated there. There was other there that was really, like, aseptic. And she told me, and where do I have? And I began seeing her energy, and I saw her legs, and I said, in your legs. And she told me that, in fact, that she had had, like, a lot of circulatory problems. And then there was a third one there that asked me, and me? And I said, in the neck. And in fact, she had had like a, a I think about uh, the thyroid. So uh, they were like amazed, and they told me, "How can we? How can we fix it?" And actually, in that moment, I needed to work, so I said, "I can fix it." <laughs> so that's how my healing career started. And mm-hmm. then I didn't know because one of them was like the the director of a very important. Um, like it's a behavior uh, kind of hospital <laughs> uh, here in Mexico City, and she began sending me one, uh, many, many, many of the clients. Uh, like in one month, I was like kind of full, like uh, of clients and patients. They were they were having like a lot of, of changes through through these techniques, and one of those uh, had a radio show, so. And uh, she invited me to do a, 
an interview, I began talking about energy, how you could move the eyes and see the the, the energetic field. Uh, they asked me a lot, how do you know where there is a surgery? And I told them when they, you see a lot of accumulation like um, in, of jello, very close to, to the area um, and to the body is probably where they have a surgery. And then the, the radio um, station was like kind of fascinated and offered me uh, a show. Mm -hmm. So I began talking about energy, about many things. I had uh, guests, Buddhism, uh, how to douse and that. And that's how my mentors in the Nahuatl tradition really came. The first one, uh, because I had been looking in the, in the, in the main plaza of Mexico City where the dancers are that, that supposedly carry the tradition, but I hadn't find more than dancers and sweating lodges, and I wasn't really interested in that, in that path. So after some time, uh, one of my teachers, that, because that, that show still uh, keeps running in Mexico City, I have been like, uh, with that show uh, 15 years, so he helped me uh, while he was driving his, his truck, and he said, he's the one, he's the one that is going to take uh, the ancient knowledge of dreams uh, and of the mirror and to the world. And then he began coming to some of my workshops. Then he told me, I don't, uh, I, I, I didn't come to learn. I come to, to teach you. He began teaching me. Mm -hmm. Then he introduced me his, his very good friend, Charlotte, my main teacher of the, of, uh, of the Toltec lineage. And they began give me individual sessions for many, many years. And that's how, how I ended up uh, doing this. And actually, Hugo, my, my, the, the first one, the one that helped me in radio, he made me like a prophecy like 10 years ago, like he told me. After the eclipse of July of 2010, the Mexica wisdom will be out in the world. You will be one of the first carriers. And you will start by Italy, and then you will go to England. Uh, when he told me that, uh, I, I didn't know a lot about the Mexican public tradition. Actually, I had the knowledge of my nanny. I knew something about energy and very few things that he had taught me. So I didn't question it, but I didn't entirely believe it. But actually, it was like that. Uh, one month after that eclipse, they invited me to give a talk about healing. There was full of Italians. Uh, they invited me to Italy and they proposed me to do my first book. And then the second one, I, I gave a small talk in London and they, and a big, big publisher, uh, offered me to, to, to do the second one exactly how he said. And then when it happened, I told him, how did you know? And he told me, because all the destruction that came to our culture, we think that was done by the Spanish, but really the base was in Rome, in the Vatican. So uh, our coming back to share what uh, wasn't seen 500 years ago, mostly starting in Italy, and then the, the other country that established the order in the new world was England. So... Uh, if those two aspects are covered, then really, really the 
it will be the welcome to the ancient knowledge also in the Americas. So it has happened like that. I, I, um, every time that I tell the story, I still, I, I really like, really, I'm leaving that. <laughs> but it's happening. Yes, it did. It really happened. And your life has followed this prophecy. And when you speak of destiny, I also see that in the relationship that came to be with Club UNESCO and you being chosen to preserve the Noahal culture um, and the ceremonies and the dances. Can you tell us a little something about that work that you're doing now? Yes. Uh, one Spanish friend invited me that he was going to 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 do uh, there was going to be for for not exactly for for UNESCO Paris but for Club UNESCO that is like a branch uh, a ceremony for the winter solstice and uh, in 2012 so he invited me that I really accepted because and I was quite reluctant to accept that first invitation because the 2012 was important here in Mexico so I wanted to be here but he invited me and the ceremony was going to be performed in Montserrat that is one of the most sacred uh, Catholic churches in Spain where is the black uh, Madonna, the black Virgin uh, of Montserrat uh, to perform a complete uh, opening of directions and ceremony in Nahuatl. So I said uh, for me, it meant like a lot, I said, because that was on 500 years ago here. Uh, the Christian mass began being play, uh, performed in, in, the, in the pyramids in, in our temples, mm-hmm. actually, and in, not in a very peaceful way, in a very different way. Now in a peaceful way, they're inviting you to perform a complete Nahuatl uh, Ceremony in a, in a, in in one of the most important Christian t- temples. So I went. Uh, the president of Club UNESCO for the protection of the intangible patrimony of humankind that actually were, uh, wrote the foreword of my second book was there. And then he proposed me um, to to develop a project uh, to make the the intangible patrimony. Because UNESCO, the, the the one of Paris is the one that that does a lot of the tangible patrimony, but like buildings or sacred sites to protect them or cities or that. But there is like the other branch of ceremonies of that. Uh, so uh, we began doing that that project. He came to the Mexican Black Parliament. Uh, because uh, it cannot be done by UNESCO, it must be done by the government. Uh, in in the first moment, they accepted, but then the cultural department wanted to do other other projects. Uh, so that was a stop for a moment. Now it's coming again to life because we're going to do other one uh, to make like the not 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 the culture, but like uh, the trip. Uh, around the sacred sites of the center that were there, the ones of Nahuatl speaking, something that is called Trips Heritage uh, by UNESCO, 
that could be done more directly from UNESCO. So it has changed in these in this, in this years, but I have been working. Um, I'm really proud. I hope that that now we can we can take it to the end to to make like because the Magan area, for example, is very known for a lot of people, but a lot of people don't come to the center, and there are beautiful, beautiful sacred sites, ceremonies uh, that you cannot see in the south in the Mayan area that we want to to put again into the world so that the world knows knows like a trip heritage by UNESCO. Mm, that's really wonderful. And in a few minutes we're going to take a break and come back. But before we do that, can can you explain to people what Nahuatl is, how that tradition has developed through the Americas and through the history of what we know as Mexico? Of course. Uh, Nahuatl is a language. So... Uh, uh, the Nahuatl okay, had like like a previous version that was called Yutu Azteca, that is like Latin for Spanish or Sanskrit for Tibetan. It actually started uh, like in the United now what is the United States? That's why it's called Yutu. And uh, those groups were called the Chichimecas. Uh, they began coming uh, down. They then they became like Olmecs, the Olmecs. Then the Teotihuacan, Xochicalcas, Poltecs, and finally the Aztecs. So there were like lineages that had like a similar culture uh, that has similar calendars and the traditions. That is a very old lineage, like uh, from 5,000 years ago with the Chichimecas, and it's something similar if you see in the Western history that is more known, like what happened. Uh, if we begin uh, tracing the the Roman Empire with the Latin and then how they turn into Christianity and how the many of the countries that uh, uh, that develop a language that came from Latin became Christian something like that that mm-hmm. is that is going crossing generations uh, to generations but that share uh, similar beliefs on that so it's a huge body of knowledge. Uh, I have been exploring much more uh, the area of the cosmology, of course, some Nahuatl etymology, because if you understand the language, you understand like like the ancient vision, but mainly uh, the the knowledge about dreams and about healing. Mm. And 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 in many ways, this is all coming together in your books as well as your healing with people and the workshops that you, that you are offering and the, the various traditions that you are making available to people who really would, would not have access to this knowledge in any other way. So to me, it's very, very valuable. Before we take a go to the break, um, one of your books is really about... Um, it's t- it's Dawn of the Sixth Sun, and it's 2012 to 21, Dawn of the Sixth Sun. And um, can you briefly explain to people what this phenomena is about? What is the Sixth Sun? 
so many people thought that in 2012 everything would change, but you're making it clear that this is a transitional period. How can people understand this? Of course, because now we are in 2016, so the like the main effect about 2012 has like uh, a little bit is not in in everyone's mind but if you remember in those years a lot of people were saying that probably the world uh, was going to end and that according to uh, actually a bad interpretation of the of the Mayan calendar mm-hmm. uh, i think the problem of western mind is that the the western mind translates literally and they don't get involved with the with the communities to see what what they meant. So, for example, for the ancient Mexicans, both Mayans, Toltecs, uh, the actual Nahuatl speaking groups, to die means a major change. So, uh, all those uh, hundred books that came out of the end of the world and uh, came from three lines that the ancient ones left in the oral tradition that said uh, the fifth sun will end with earthquakes, there will be a lot of suffering, and everyone will die. Uh, from that, uh, they came that that was the end of the world and, and whatever. I always said, much before the 2012, that that wasn't quite accurate, because um, suns, well, what they are named suns, um, the long count of the of the Aztec calendar that actually is not Aztec. The Aztec carved the, the sun the stone, but it came from the other cultures cultures before. It's of twenty six thousand five hundred years. In, in the ancient Mexico everything was split into four because they say that the cosmic order of the mother was split into four. Uh, because that's why four elements for different phases of the moon for um, two solstices and two, two equinoxes, uh, four elements uh, that is uh, everywhere. So they split the, the long count into four that gives you periods of 6,625 years. And then uh, each of those are called suns. Uh, it, this is a little bit different between the Mayans because the Mayans, they have a count that is more like, for example, their period that they name kin. For example, it, uh, it can finish one kin today and the other uh, start tomorrow. For the ancient Nahuatl cultures, it wasn't like that. It was more like nature, like nature that, for example, in the, in the sun rising, there is a still night, then uh, slowly, slowly comes the night, the, the light, and then it becomes day. So the period of transition started in 1991 with with a full eclipse that happened in Mexico City, and is finishing in 2021, like the the transition between the fifth and the sixth sun. The main change is that the fifth sun is what we call uh, a son of the tonal of the waking state because they alternate like uh, um, night and day, day and night. So it was a, a son of the day, of light. That doesn't mean I would want. So when we are awake, uh, we have opened the eyes, so we are looking outside. So where was God? 
outside, where was medicine outside, satisfaction outside. So the the sons of light are very good for religions, like the one that is ending are very good for uh, outside medicine, from herbal doctors, whatever. For war, you need to conquer the others. Now we're entering in a, in a fixed sound that is like closing the eyes. So if you close the eyes, you have to go to your inside. And so dreams are very important. Your own world, your own uh, psyche. And if you see, uh, because we, uh, we have been very lucky to be in the transition between both sons, it has happened. I remember how life was a lot simpler, like 20 years ago. People were satisfied uh, with a good job, a family, going to uh, the, whatever religion they have. Now, everyone is looking something else. The me- medicine is not working for almost anyone. The, you know, mm-hmm. Many uh, things are really, really changing, and, and people are facing like if they don't know how to how to deal with this, we, with a lot of suffering. So the the prophecy of the ancients came. So the fifth uh, the fifth time will finish with earthquakes, physical ones actually, but also with the inner earthquake. And why everyone will suffer because humans don't doesn't like to change, and everyone will die if everyone will change uh, in a certain way because also the physical death is is a change. But many others will be forced to change of beliefs of systems. And sometimes you're forced by a, a terrible sickness or by financial problems or by to be, uh, for example, I see now politics and all these things that people is really disappointed uh, all over the world. But people is forced to change. So I think there were like two options, changing through suffering or changing through knowledge. And I I really suggest all the people to change through knowledge. So tell a bit about lucid dreaming and this, these traditions. Um, okay. Uh, in the ancient times, uh, the world lucid dreaming didn't exist. For the ancient Mexicans, the, the world that existed was flower dreams. Uh, I will explain a little bit now, um, like science does, what, uh, what is lucid dreaming and what do we pretend in, in the in the Toltec tradition? Uh, lucid dreaming actually is uh, to be aware that you are dreaming while you are dreaming. That's the the definition. Then, uh, for the ancient Mexicans, the that wasn't the main purpose of of dreaming. Of course, we now use that word because it's the one that that is common uh, around. It's the one that some people know because most of the people doesn't know anything about dreaming. But the, the ancient Mexicans, what they pretended is super lucidity. What does that mean? That you are aware that you are dreaming and then to change the dream to add certain archetypes or to go to certain places to change your destiny, to create your life through your dreams. It actually is quite powerful because if you see in your dreams, you are in the, uh, we can say, we, uh, how can I define it? Like in the most unconscious part of you. If you are really able to master uh, 
how transform that area, it will reflect in all the areas of your life, like healing, like getting abundance, like have prophetic dreams, all these kind of things. Uh, of course, to, to achieve all those goals, you need a, a long, long training. Uh, but today I will start in the New York Open Center with the basics. For the ancient Mexicans, because now, nowadays a lot of people, um, uh, like lucid dreaming is getting like trendy, like something, like a new fashion to be exploring. But for the ancient Mexicans, what they wanted, is, uh, like I said, it was to create your life through your dreams. So, uh, there was uh, uh, a certain discipline for, of, that was called Mexicatzin, uh, that's Nahuatl, the ancient language that was spoken by Toltecs, by Teotihuacans, by Chichimecas, and also by the Aztecs. That means the, uh, the wise Mexica. I, something that I would like to say that Mexica is, doesn't mean to be Mexican. That's a new concept because uh, the, the entire world, uh, the entire country took the, the name of the, of, the, of the ancient wise men. Mexica means the ones that have uh, that have accepted the influence of the moon and the influence of your dreams in your life, and that you're doing something to uh, to work with that. So there was um, a kind of discipline that that is supposed to be done before you fall asleep, in which, for example, if you need help. For example, you have to destroy the physical issue that that um, that you have. Then you have to destroy the dreams that created that issue and the energy that is creating that. And then to plant or to sow a new archetype or uh, or dream in which you uh, you will of uh, you will get the healing and. When we are now sciences, that when we are falling asleep, we are crossing through a state that is called hypnagogic. So, uh, the ancient Mexicans didn't, didn't, didn't mention that. They just taught you that before falling asleep, you should do this type of readings to create four different dreams and to plant them in order to then dream it. Of course, probably the same night, probably one month after, it doesn't matter. And then to get the result in your waking in your waking life. So it's it's a great discipline. And then uh, with with that discipline, for example, you use certain archetypes that, like you, uh, like Carl Jung said, and and many others, we have all these archetypes in in what we call the the collective uh, unconscious. And, but for getting lucidity, for example, you can say, uh, I will plan this dream with the serpent uh, that will take me to uh, to health. And once I see the serpent, I enter in lucidity. So you are also like uh, creating like um, a pattern in which when you see the, the, the archetypes, you enter in lucidity. And then you recognize all your healing, all your abundance, all the love that you're going to ask for, all the healing of your ancestors. There are many, many others. Uh, 
so so it's 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 amazing because sometimes you just uh, get lucid like for three seconds and you see okay my healing, and then you uh, you again lost lucidity, but then you get the healing. So it's an amazing training of and uh, how to fall asleep, which archetypes uh, serve for anything for different purposes, and then at the end, uh, other one that is how to wake up. So, if if I understand, I and I believe I do. I've, I was uh, very lucky to be able to take this particular training with you um, when you were here in 2014. So I'm really happy to be able to get a second installment on this practice. But really, I think for people to understand is that we are living out our lives is really a dream because it 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 originates in the dream state so whatever we may be going through in our daily life is truly originating in our dream state is that how we can even think of our lives yeah i know that that sometimes like people have uh, have lost most of people the, of the complete connection with the dreaming state it's not something very comfortable to to hear. Uh, actually, when I began uh, my training with dreams, I have completely lost my connection with my dreaming state. So I belong to the group. So I understand. But for example, I remember my my teacher tell, telling me, uh, "If you don't remember your dreams, you are like a living death." Because you don't have any control for your waking uh, in your waking state, I I was really like kind of shocked. Mm, I wasn't sure it was truth. Uh, I felt uncomfortable actually when I heard it for the first time. Mm-hmm. But now that I had been like many many years practicing this, then now I I really recognize it. I see. Uh, the things before coming, even the people that you are going to meet, they appear before in your dreams, great opportunities, and also the problems that you are creating. And if you really begin changing, canceling dreams and that, then you have other opportunity. And why, why is that? Because for the ancient Mexicans, uh, that I'm talking about all the cultures, including Mayans and all of them, that's why I say Ma- Mexicans, because... Uh, there were many, many, many different uh, groups that were practicing dreaming. So there were like 13 heavens. Uh, and what does that mean? That there were like 13, uh, it could be called like dimensions or steps that the first energy that was called Senteotl gave to become matter in the 14th. That, that is our world, but we are not a heaven anymore because it's this world, so there are only 13. The seventh heaven is in the, for the ancient Mexicans, where dreams happen. So, through dreams, you are closer to the first energy to become something and closer to the matter. That's why it's much easier to work in your dreams than to work in the waking state. And I remember that when my teacher told me uh, for the first time that, I thought, uh, but it's also important what you think. It's, it's also very important what you eat. It's also very important whatever. Uh, I, I, I was given many excuses. And then he told me, 
Yes, but what you eat, what you dream, and all of that depends on what you dream. And that's when I begin, like, saying, yeah, is it? And now, after practicing it for many years, I'm sure. I have seen people that is going to hire me or create problems before knowing them in my dreams. Then I recognize them and I say, okay, the problem of my dreams, the girl of my dreams, <laughs> everything mm -hmm. of my dreams. So it's amazing. And, and of course, I know that many of the lucid dreamers say, you are wasting this uh, third of your life with eight hours without consciousness. But now I can say you are wasting almost all of it if you don't do anything about that. Because you could uh, foresee, you could begin solving things, you could begin, be creating. And, for example, to do exercise or anything in your waking life, you have to add hours to your normal routine. But for doing dreaming, of course, you have to, uh, to do certain things. But all of us are going to dream. Everyone is forced to sleep. So it's just to make the best of that. So my question is, a lot of people don't really remember their dreaming states. And so what is happening if you're not actively working with your dreams? Is, is the activity of your life feeding into your dreams and feeding back into your life again? Um, is, is it like a cycle? Yeah. Because a lot of people tell, say, I don't dream. No, of course you dream. If you don't dream, you would be totally not. Yeah, because uh, your psyche couldn't recover. There are two parts main uh, in the dreaming cycle. There are two, two main parts. One, to repair the body, that you don't dream a lot. That is the first part of the night, for example. And the second, that is full of dreams, that is to, uh, to heal your, your psyche, your mind. So everyone dreams. So uh, if you don't remember them, there are two, two ways. Uh, you will always receive the message from your dreams. There is one way to receive it through your life, but you don't know. You don't know receive. You don't know that you're receiving the message because you are just living it. Or two, uh, receive it in the dream and maybe uh, to fix it, to cancel the dream, or to plant one different. So, uh, but you will always receive the message from your dreams, or in your life, or in the, in the same dream, and try to, to modify if there is something to be modified, or to get really happy when you are seeing that something really beautiful is coming to your life, and just wait for that. So, uh, that's the way it works. Fascinating. And it, it's very valuable because it really, like you said, it really does get us into contact with a much deeper part of ourselves that allows us to create the life that we want. So, And really to create the openings that we want to have in our, in our everyday existence. Many people, I think all people really, are born into the world with some gift to offer, some special talent that they have, a capacity to do great things. But if we can really align with our own truth, then that can get us 
much closer to where we have really to accomplish whatever it is that we've come into this life to to accomplish and to experience and enjoy. So it's it's a it's a great gift to think that we could do this. So tell us a little something about the significance of the obsidian mirror. Oh, the obsidian mirror for for uh, because actually people ask me. Uh, which religion are you? I don't want, because I think that's the, uh, uh, one of the greatest mistakes nowadays that you define you, I'm Catholic, I'm Jewish, I am whatever, and then you think you have the truth. I'm very open to, to everywhere where, where I find, find wisdom. But actually, if I am very, very honest, I have part of Catholic because my family is part of that. Uh, but I really practice the ancient tradition of the, of the Toltec and Aztecs. And for that tradition, uh, the obsidian mirror was really, really like the, the most sacred, the most sacred uh, object. Because for the ancient, uh, or the first energy, the one that I, uh, we talked before, gives like, uh, 14, 14 steps to become matter. But the first thing it is said that the black eagle or centeotl or in order to create, she has or he has to reflect himself to create, to create a subject object. And that everything that we think that is real is in, is reflected in the mirror. It's, it's in the mirror, in the reflection of that first uh, energy. So we now speaking in the radio, now that I'm this beautiful city, New York City, everything is in the mirror, in the first reflection. That Some people ask me, where is that first reflection? I say, I don't know, many dimensions up. Uh, but it, it was said for the ancient tradition that uh, we are so fascinated by this reflection that we have totally forgotten who reflects. And who reflects is this first energy. And actually, the ancient Mexicans used that uh, like a physical representation of that mirror, uh, or of uh, in obsidian in a volcanic rock, to remember how is really the creation. That uh, the first thing that you learn is to enter in what we call the black eagle perception, in which you move the eyes in a certain way, that uh, you disappear. And when you disappear, you get awareness that what you are seeing is the real thing, uh, what we, we, could, we can call in modern worlds, world's spirit, and that you, your body, is a reflection. And it's a, it's a great thing because I, even quantum physics says, or physics, that we are just particles spinning. I don't know which uh, strange trick, trick our brain does to make us look like solid, but also in the in the Eastern tradition they say that that everything is an illusion. In many of all of them, but I think here that I'm not saying it's better because it's not. You see it with your own eyes that we are boys, and then you master the art of, of for example, looking at the idea that you have of yourself and disappear it and ask the mirror to take it, or your history, 
including everything you have done, uh, everything you have eaten or whatever, and take it out with, uh, with the consequences. And many, many things. So the obsidian mirror is amazing. For the ancient Mexican, also, it was like what you see in the, in the mirror, it was like a dream. It was uh, exactly like if you were able to materialize the dream. That, what, that is what is said in Mexico, but recently uh, in Italy, because my first book was a big bestseller in Italy. So uh, one researcher of the Turin University made, made like a, a study of me, an uh, electroencephalogram, while I was doing the, the mirror. And the results were like amazing because it shows uh, that what the ancient Mexicans said, it was true that the delta waves boost and the gamma waves. And the delta ones are is, is like if you were like in a deep uh, sleep period. And I was opening my eyes. I was seeing things in the mirror. I was moving the mirror. So they said, it's quite incredible because they have tested a lot of people doing meditation and that. But they say it's, it's amazing also, but they are not moving and they are closing their eyes. So to enter in a discipline in which you are opening the eyes in which you are moving an object, and then also to give the results that you are in a deep, deep state of dreaming, it's, it's kind of amazing. For me, it was just a confirmation of what the ancient Mexican said, that the mirror was the opportunity to materialize the dream. Like in, uh, it's exactly like, like a movie, like if you have a screen, <laughs> and that you are able to project your dream in the screen. That is really amazing. And I, I've been using uh, the mirror, and probably not to the same success that you have, because I haven't been diligent enough. But I do see in the mirror, and I have seen um, you know, different colors and different shapes, as well as different faces of myself you know, that I might not recognize, but in terms of just looking at the face, but I, I recognize it as myself. So what was I experiencing with that? Do you have an idea with that? Yeah, the mirror could be a portal to the past and could be also a portal to the future. It can be a portal to pieces of, of your mind that are in the underworld and that, that, that would be the way of of calling past lives for the ancient Mexicans. Because uh, for the ancient Mexicans, every time that you die uh, without awareness, uh, that piece of your mind, that life, goes to the underworld until you rescue it. So you could be seeing that. Also, you could be seeing ancestors because they they uh, manifest in the mirror the colors that you say, that you saw. That, that are very important because we try to see colors. For example, if you, you are able to color, that now you can be like my witness for the people that are hearing this for the, for the first time. Sometimes it, it, uh, the mirror colors really red. If you are able to get that color and you put it in something, uh, in a physical uh, issue that you have, uh, it begin, the mirror begins healing that. If you get the green uh, and you put it in a certain area, then you heal emotional uh, problems. And the, the white or, or orange is for enlightenment. So you are seeing many, many things in the mirror. Uh, 
and you can also go to the future. So it's it's an amazing it's an amazing tool. It's my uh, actually of everything I teach. It's my favorite one. You're listening to Heart of Mind Radio for the New Millennium. I'm Catherine Davis, and our guest today has been Sergio Magana. Mm-hmm. 